Last week, I tricked you and asked you to join me in Colossians 5. There really is a John chapter 1, even though there isn't a Colossians 5. John chapter 1, and we are going to look this morning at Jesus, and the birth of Jesus is the gift of life. And I think that you think you know what I mean when I say the birth of Jesus is the gift of life. But by the end, I think you're going to go, oh, he means much more than what I thought he meant. That Jesus is, his birth, the gift of life. The Gospel of John introduces us to this Jesus of Nazareth. And he has two goals as he goes through the gospel, and I want to capture them quickly from the start. He says, at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, say it, was God. He's speaking of Jesus of Nazareth was God. And Matt read it earlier for us as part of our worship, and the Word, who was Jesus, who was God, became Flesh, that is, he took on humanity and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, what we have in the life of Jesus is this very unusual life of one who was God and man. And how does that happen? How is one who is Mostly human or 100% human? 100% human be mostly God. No. 100% God, 100% human. That's Jesus. It's, it's a radically unusual life that I'm going to run us through a quick examples of how we see it in, in very defined, specific moments. Like at his birth. How do you see his humanity at his birth? They wrapped him in cloth. Sure, that's reflective. Why'd they do that? To keep him warm. So Jesus was God would have gotten cold? Yeah, because Jesus of man would have gotten cold. But he's there because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So like no other person on the planet, there was no human father involved here. It was the Holy Spirit conceiving within Mary. So we see even in his birth, as he's wrapped in cloths, conceived by the Holy Spirit, his humanity and his deity. At 12 years old, how do we see his humanity? At 12 years old, his parents are looking for him. He has like authority in his life. Jesus, God has authority in his life? How could that be? He's human. He has authority in his life because he's human. At 12, his parents are searching for him. See, if you're 40 and your parents are searching for you, that's obnoxious. Stop it, mom. <laughs> but he was human. 12-year-olds, mom and dad are supposed to be like, where are you? But at that same age, 
how do we see his deity? We see him in Jerusalem teaching the most educated religious leaders of the time, and they're gone. Whoa, this is way beyond child prodigy stuff right here. You see, just in that glimmer, you see both the mixture of the unusual life of <clears throat> Jesus. In the wilderness, just before he begins his ministry, he fasts for 40 days. And if you fasted for 40 days, you would be hungry. <laughs> Actually, you wouldn't be. You would feel like death. Jesus was hungry, and therefore, not only hungry, he was, the Satan comes and tempts him as a human, and his divinity as the Son of God, not only in that moment, but at any moment in his entire life, this is crazy. He never sins. Sometimes it helps me to think of it this strongly. Jesus was a single man who went through his entire 20s, his teenage and 20s, and never lusted. That's crazy. Now that's Deity, right? It's humanity and his deity. Meets a woman at the well in Samaria. The disciples are in getting some lunch. He stayed at the well because it says, it says he stayed there because he was tired. <laughs> and he was like, whew. It's been a long walk. I'm, I'm going to rest here. It's always cracked me up. You know those disciples walked away. I don't get this. I thought he said he was God. How can he be tired? Come on. He had to win every Iron Man on the planet. But he's he's human. But then he engages a conversation with this woman and she runs to town and says, hey, come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. <laughs> what? Yeah. A guy who was tired because he was human was also the guy who told her everything she had ever done. And she was like, this is not like any guy I've ever met. And then at uh, the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, yeah, he does what, what you and I just did as we grieved with Peter and Kim. Some of you had the tears going down your face. Jesus is at the tomb as a man with tears running down his face. Like people do. And then, unlike what people do, he raises them from the dead. You see, you capture this incredibly unusual life of a crier who raises people from the dead. On the Sea of Galilee, in a boat, 
Yeah, long day of ministry. Dude, you guys got it? I'm taking a nap. Yeah, he, he, he's literally sleeping because he's, he's human. You gotta like it. Jesus enjoyed, enjoyed a good nap. Takes a nap. But then they wake him up. <laughs> and the wind and the waves obey him. See, that's unusual. <laughs> unusual is like an understatement. Who takes naps who can command the winds and the waves? So, yeah. Jesus, the incredibly unusual life of Jesus. So, so how do we understand this? So um, I should probably take my wife's more off, advice more often than I do. But my next slide is a trick slide. And I never tell you when it's a trick because then it wouldn't be a trick. But I didn't Thursday night. I made it, Everybody wrote it down and... And then I said, this isn't right. She was like, I think you do that too much. (laughs) So I'm not going to trick you this morning. I'm telling you before you fill in these blanks now, I wanted to trick you, but Jackie didn't want me to trick you. (laughs) Jesus experienced what we experienced because he was human. This 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 is how we try to understand this unusual life. The explanation is he experienced what we experienced because he was human and did things that we don't because he was God. Now, I love this because now some of you are saying, that's not right. I would have been sure that was right. I wouldn't cross that out. But now that you filled it in, did you fill it in? You didn't fill it in? You got to fill it in because here's why. Because you got to remember how you will wrongly conclude about the life of Jesus. So fill it in and then cross it out. (laughs) So that you'll remember. This is what I'm going to think. Oh, how did Jesus do that? Well, he was God. Well, why did he do that? Well, because he was human. And I know some of you are wrestling. You're like, I I can see in your eyes. You're like, hmm. Actually, I think that's true. I'm not crossing that out. I'm going to take a picture of it. So, uh, what's going on here? Why would we cross that out? Join me, please, in John chapter 14. John, John chapter 14 is part of the section of Scripture which captures the last night with Jesus with his disciples before he is crucified the next morning. And so they've experienced years with him and they think they've come to know him and he has sought to teach them about the life that he has lived. He's washed their feet. Judas has exited the room to go betray him. So what's left is Jesus and the other 11. One of those guys, in John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip says to Jesus, who has just said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. And Philip says 
to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And it's Jesus' reply to Philip that at first seems to think we shouldn't have crossed out what we crossed out because he says, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? This isn't the moment you go, "Ah, I guess I wish I wouldn't have spoken up. I should let other people speak up. Because have you come? You don't know me? Ah, I thought I did. I thought it was a good question. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And we tend to think, so what's he saying? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm God. Is he? Yes, yes. Please don't think that in any way I'm suggesting this morning that Jesus is not God. I am suggesting it's not the explanation for his life. Here's what he says. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, he does his works. You see, it's true. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But not because I'm God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because three things are true. I am, what's he say? I am one with the Father. The Father's in me and I'm in the Father. Second thing that's true I don't do anything or say anything on my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do and I only say what the Father tells me to say. Therefore, it's actually my life is a life of the Father doing his works through me. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not because I'm God, but because I'm in oneness with him and I am in submission to him and I am the instrument through which he does his works. Here's the explanation for the life of Jesus. Jesus was in the Father and submitted to the Father Jesus was in the Father. There was oneness. The Father was in him and submitted to the Father. I don't say anything on my own initiative. I don't do anything on my own initiative. By the way, if you want to read through the Gospel of John this week, you'll be amazed at how many times Jesus actually says that. And I'm the instrument. Jesus was the instrument. Through which what happened? The Father did the Father's works. See, I love that. No. There's the relationship of oneness in the Father, the Father in me. 
There's the relationship of submission. I'm under him. I only do what he says. I only say what he tells me to say. And then there is this, I'm an instrument through which the Father does his works. Now, you filled that in. Make sure. Let's go back to the text. Is that not exactly what it says? I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So the explanation for the life of Jesus, watch, even though he was God, the explanation for the life of Jesus is that he lived as God intended humanity to really live. He lived the way God actually intended when he created humanity for us to really live in a relationship of oneness, submission, (laughs) and an instrument. That's how he intended us to think, think about when he created Adam and Eve. He created him in oneness, to live in submission, and to be the instrument through which the world would be ruled. Jesus lived as God intended you to live. That's the explanation for his life. If you're still wrestling with that, well, first of all, if, if you're thinking I am minimizing the deity of Jesus, let me say it one more time, I am not. I am saying, let's not make that the explanation for his life because that's not the explanation he gave. We were, you're there in John 14. Only a few minutes later, same group, same night, same place, Jesus, now not talking about his relationship, (coughs) excuse me, with the Father, but his relationship to his disciples says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, maybe you've never connected this, but look at the similarity that Jesus invites us to have in relationship with him that he had with what we just read about his relationship with the Father. They're almost exact. He said about the Father, I'm in the Father, Father is in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I don't do anything on my own initiative, He who abides in me, remains in me, under me. I am him. He'll bear much fruit. In me, the Father is doing his works. Let me go almost a little crazy with you right now. Could have the Father said to the Son what Jesus said to us. I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you abide in me as I abide in you, You'll bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Could have the Father said that to the Son? And could Jesus say to us, 
I'm in you, and you are in me. The words that I say to you, uh, could we say, sorry to Jesus, I'm in you, you're in me. Words I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but Jesus, abiding in me, does his work. See, you may go, well, interesting. No, don't say interesting. Say like life-changing. Life-changing. Because... The, the reason I, and I, I watched some of you are like, I'm not writing the wrong thing down. The reason I wanted you to write the wrong thing down and cross that out is because that's how, for much of my understanding of the Christian life, it was Jesus did experience what I experienced, but he was human. But he did what he did because he was God. And therefore, when it came to me to be like Jesus, what was my reply? I can't. I'm not. I'm not God. I know, just do your best. And there is typically what people understand about the Christian life. I know, you can't be like, Jesus, he was God. Just do your best. That's all God wants you. Just do your best. Not true. What God wants is for you to live as God intended you to live, like Jesus lived in human flesh. You see, you're getting a picture of now when I say the birth of Jesus is the gift of life. You were probably thinking, oh, heaven. Which, uh, don't miss out. That would be awesome. Great. I'm not minimizing heaven. (laughs) But the gift of life in Jesus, in his birth, is the gift of a life lived as God intended you to live it. And it will take it will cause you and I to read the Gospels like we've never read them before. Because now, as I look at Jesus, I understand, oh, what he did was because he was one with the Father, submitted to the Father, and an instrument through which the Father was doing his works. I can, this is the blessing of understanding the humanity of Jesus. I can Learn to live the life he lived. I can learn to live. Now, perfectly, no. I will never live perfectly as Jesus lived perfectly. But I can increasingly, the longer, this is the, I hope, true for you, the longer we are in Christ and Christ is in us, the the more we will learn to live as God intended us to live, like Jesus lived, to learn to live a life of oneness. You see, when we come to Christ, when when you and I admit our sin and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, We are by faith reconciled to God. We are made one with him. But because you're one doesn't mean you live as one. Can any married couple in the room go, amen to that? Because you're one doesn't mean you will live as one. You don't remember the first year you were married? You were one. (laughs) 
you had some lessons to learn. 36 years in, still learning. A little slow, a little slow. Oneness is a, is a learned relationship. So don't, don't miss. You can't live in oneness if you aren't one, but because you are one doesn't mean you will live in oneness. It's learned. In marriage, it's learned in my relationship with God. In my relationship with God, I learn to live in oneness as I learn to live in submission to him. And learning to live in submission to my God is beginning to more increasingly fully believe that his words are life. They're not robbing me. They're not stealing me. They're not keeping me from life. His words are not burdensome. They're life to me. And the more I believe that, the more gladly I will submit to it. See, when I take what God says and I put it here, it's because I'm not convinced God has my best. If I really believed it was for my best, of course I would do it, because I love me. (laughs) So submission comes as I increasingly understand God's for me, not against me. And the fullest demonstration that God is for me and not against me is the sending of his son. He, he who did not withhold his son, how will he withhold any good thing from us? If you've had kids, you know. Submission is learned. <laughs> Or not learned. But, but our precious six kids didn't come out of the womb with, Mom, Dad, whatever you want, just tell us. We'll only say the words that you want us to say. We'll only do the things that you want us to do. They had to learn that. Part of that process that we sought, sought to verbalize was, hey, son, you may not agree. And when you don't agree, here's what I want you to say. Dad, I don't understand, but I do know you love me. So that's what I say to the father. I don't understand. I don't even like it. <laughs> but I know you love me. How do I know? He didn't withhold his son. And therefore, I'll do what you say. Submission is, is learned. It's the beginning of a relationship, friends. That tomorrow, if you go, oh, I really want to learn to live as God intended me to live. That you would get up tomorrow with this first thought. If you were born again. Lord, we're one. I'm in you and you're in me. And this is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And all that you have for me this day, whether I understand it, like it, want it, I'm going to submit to you. Say what you want me to say. Go where you want me to go. Not go where you want me to go. 
Say no to things that you've said no to. Say yes to the things you've said yes to. That's what Jesus did every single day as a human being. He lived in oneness, in submission. And because he was in submission, he became the instrument through which God worked. It's a life of oneness, a life of submission that we learn. And then third, a life of dependence. Now, why have I said a life of dependence? <clears throat> because sometimes my reluctance to submit is not because I'm rebellious, it's because I'm a, I'm a chicken. I'm afraid. I feel inadequate. And it's not so much submission it is, but Lord, <laughs> you're asking me to do something that I'm not capable to do. Yes, to depend upon me. Ugh. I depend upon me because I can count on me. That's, that's kind of what we tend to think. It's a life of submission and a life of dependence, and that's learned. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is Jesus walking on water and inviting Peter to join him. Peter throws a leg over the boat and a second leg over, and while his buddies are in the boat, he is literally standing on water. Oh, he must be God. <laughs> See what I did there? He wasn't God. He was sim simply living life as Jesus, Jesus said, hey, come, come to me. Ugh. I've never walked on water before. I've not had that class. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> so it's a life of dependence. You know how it shows up. You don't have to walk on water. It's just like speaking up for the gospel at work. And you're like, mm, I'd rather try and walk on water. <laughs> or loving your spouse when they don't love you back. That's risky. Dependence. Is the Lord going to come through for me? And it's something we learn. Peter got a taste. He walked. And then he stopped looking. You know the story. He stopped looking at the Lord. He went, whoa, it is windy. And I'm on water. It's a life of dependence is learned. But friends, you and I never will learn to live as God intended us to live if we never in obedience step out of what we are comfortable or what we feel capable to do in obedience to him. That's called a life of dependence upon self. But God has called us to live and to love and to forgive and to be patient and to pursue beyond 
what we are capable of doing. Maybe this will make more sense to you. Jesus said, if you love people who love you, big whoop. Everybody does that. But would people live as I intended them to live? They love people who don't love them. See, this is, this is when it gets really real force. Do you love anybody, like practically love anybody who doesn't love you? This is a, this is a moment in Christmas where we go, did they give us a gift last year? What are you trying to decide? Whether you should give them a gift this year. Oh, they didn't give us what? Okay, we're off the hook on that one. We don't need that one. We tend to give people who give to us, love people who love us, help people who help us, forgive people who, and hold grudges against people who hold grudges against us. And there's nothing supernatural about our lives. What was supernatural about the life of Jesus, though he was God, was not that he was God. It was that he was one with the God who was fully submitted and dependent upon so that he would become the instrument through which, if you saw him, you saw the Father. See it? Paul's testimony I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me what's he talking about oneness and the life which I now live in the flesh because I'm still alive I live by faith what's he talking about submission dependence I live by faith not according to what I think but what according to what God thinks. Not according to what I want, but what according to what God, I, I live by faith. Submission and dependence. Why? <laughs> because he loved me and he gave himself for me. See, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you would submit and depend upon a capricious, unloving God but that you would submit and then I would submit and I would depend upon the God who has revealed and proven himself to be trustworthy, demonstrated by the sending of his son. The gift of Jesus is the gift of life. Life as God intended us to really live it. So I can learn to live in dependence and as I learn to live in oneness and dependence and submission to him, as I learn to live as God has really made me to live, then we can become, as Jesus was, the instruments through which, <clears throat> through which God does his greater work. I can become now that instrument that Jesus was. John 14 has really taken on one of the primary passages for me to help, to help me understand my life in Christ as his life was in the Father. Because what did he say in verse 10 and 11? If you've seen me, you've seen, 
You've seen the Father. Not because I am God, but because I am living in oneness with him, submitted to him, dependent upon him as an instrument through which he lives. Now watch. Maybe you're still there in John 14. Here's what he says next. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe me. Why? Because I am telling you that. Believe my words. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Maybe you don't catch what he's saying. He's going, I'm telling you, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And if you don't believe that, just look at the things that I have done and you'll go, okay, that's God. Did you capture what I just said there? Jesus said, if you don't believe my relationship with the Father, that I'm one with him, submitted to him, dependent upon him, then just look at what I've done and then you'll go, oh, it's true. Folks, you may tell your coworkers, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. They may not believe your words. Could you say, well, if you don't believe my words, then just look at my, just look at who I love and how I love. Uh, No, don't look at that. Scratch that. Let me get my life together and then look at that. You see what I'm saying? Wow. Jesus was not reluctant to speak the truth about his relationship with the Father. Because he knew the demonstration of his life would (laughs) reveal the relationship. And so Jesus says, after he says, if you don't believe my words, then look at my works. Now what's right he says next. Truly, truly, I say to you, who, who believes in me, the works that I do, He'll do also. Huh? Yeah. Greater works than these. Because I go to the Father. And he said, if I go to the Father, it's to your advantage. Because if I go, then the Spirit of God will come and not just be with you. He will be in you. You will be in him and he will be in you. And as you live in oneness and submission and dependence, you will do what I did even greater. Not because you're God, but because you are human as God intended humans to really live. That's I'm telling you, uh, this, may, may, this may be, and I've asked the Lord all week, this may be the most important message you hear in your Christian life. That Jesus was really human to show me how humanity was really to live so that I could live. And that's so why, write it down, cross it out. The next time you think it, I know Jesus loved perfectly. I can't do that. He was God. Cross that out. Darn, that's not true. 
Yes, he was true, but that's not the, it is true he was God. It's not the explanation for his life. And so, I can become the instrument. This is why Jesus said, the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And the Father did not send the Son with anything more than Jesus has sent you. So let's close with a, a, an if then. If I diminish the humanity of Jesus, then what? If I diminish, oh, yeah. I, I, I know he experienced what I experienced, but he did what he did because he was God. If I diminish the humanity of Jesus, then what? Then I will dismiss the invitation to live as God intended me to really live. That's why this matters. From the start, it matters that they wrapped him in cloth because it demonstrated here was a human who was going to live as you and I were intended to live. And I don't want to diminish his humanity because every time I do, then I dismiss the invitation. So where does it start? It starts with a relationship of oneness. So I'm going to invite the guys to come and, and to give to pass here in south over north as well, the elements of the Lord's Supper. Now, if that seems like a quick transition, here, here is what I simply want us to understand. You're going to receive some unleavened, this cracker of unleavened. It's a reminder of the blood, excuse me, of the body of Jesus. It's unleavened because he was without sin. And you're going to receive a cup that has juice in it. It's a, a symbol of the blood of Jesus, apart from which there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, in a moment, I'm going to lead us in taking it together. But before we do, and, and I'm going to ask you over north here and south, will you, whoever's holding it right now, will you just stop for a second? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want you to miss this. I want you to remember these two phrases. As we hold these elements, we remember this. It's the life that Jesus lived, perfect, sinless, that qualified him for the death he died. Follow? If he wasn't sinless, and he could die, he just couldn't die the death he died as a substitute. For you. The life he lived qualified him for the death he died. And the death he died qualifies you to live the life he lived. Oneness. So it's what Christ has done for us. He is the gift of life as God intended. So Continue to pass, and let's remember the work of God on our behalf that brought us oneness. I once was lost in darkest night.
I thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy in life That led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still But as I ran my hellbound race Indifferent to the cost You looked upon my helpless state And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love displayed You suffered in my place You bore the wrath Reserved for me Now all I know is grace Hallelujah All I hold these elements you have a better sense Jesus is your life not only the one who by his death has paid your penalties so that you could be reconciled to God he is your life and that you are now one with him and you can live as he lived submitted one dependent what a gift so much more than get me out of hell and get me into heaven. But the gift of abundant, eternal life. If you've never trusted in Jesus, please don't think that by taking these elements, they will save you. These are the reminder of the person of Jesus and his death that through trusting in him and his death on your behalf, that your sin would be forgiven and your life made new. Let's take together in remembrance of him. I have been crucified with Christ No longer I who lives Christ lives in me, the life I live, I live by faith in Him. The Son of God, who loved me so, and gave Himself for me, glory to God.
invite you to stand. Let's sing this last verse together. Lord, I would be yours alone. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way. remember in the power of the spirit jesus is our life he is in us and people see him through us as we go and so let's not think of our weaknesses as something uh, to stop us from doing what jesus would do through us he is in us and in our weakness he is strong and so he can work through us in that especially this week as we go and we're with family and we're with friends Uh, let's be the light of jesus to them and i can't wait to see you on christmas eve Uh, i hope you get your tickets and you come bring a neighbor Um, We'll see you then. God bless.